See Tom Run, a free podcast of the novel by Scott Wittenberg, narrated by the author. For more information on this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Chapter 2 Visibility was very poor as he drove along Hartford toward the police station. Having driven no less than ten blocks, Tom made a frightening discovery. He hadn't seen a single soul, nor a single moving vehicle since he left his house. Nor had he seen any lights on, or any indication that there was power anywhere. Not even the traffic lights were working. It was as if he were driving through a ghost town. The cold kept him alert as he negotiated the hills and dales of Colonial Hills. The sheer darkness and lack of any movement, vehicular or otherwise, was absolutely cryptic. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he was fairly certain that he wasn't going to find anyone no matter where he went tonight. He was, and always had been, an optimist, but he was also a realist. The fact that he had not seen so much as a single shred of life in Worthington thus far indicated a reality that was, as impossible as it was to conceive, likely. He nonetheless kept his hopes up as he passed by the supermarket he had been at earlier. There were still several cars parked outside in spite of the pitch dark. Tom pulled up beside the entrance and threw the jeep into park. He got out and approached the automatic doors, which failed to open. Inside, he saw nothing but darkness, not even the glow of emergency lighting. He hopped back in and continued his drive to the Worthington Police Department. There was something reassuring about the concept of a police force, he suddenly realized. For if anyone would still be carrying out their duties, no matter how horrific or chaotic a situation might be, it would be the local police. And he hoped and prayed that that would be the case tonight. There was nearly six inches of fresh snow on the road as Tom swung a ride into the police headquarters parking lot. Although he certainly hadn't expected to see the place lit up like a Christmas tree, he was dismayed to find that the station looked as dark and foreboding as all the other structures he'd passed along the way. He pulled up beside one of the cruisers and got out. Training his flashlight along the walkway, he reached the door and was surprised to find that he was able to pull it open. But what he discovered inside made his skin crawl. There was a single red exit sign glowing weakly on a far wall beyond the reception area. In the dimly lit foreground, he saw no less than a half-dozen desks silhouetted by the eerie red glow, each one equipped with a standard office telephone, a computer tower with an unlit monitor screen, a file cabinet off to the side, and an office chair pulled up to it. Complementing the spooky scene was a neat row of walkie-talkies lined up on the desk sergeant's counter beside the police radio array. There was not a single solitary living soul in sight. Tom entered the office area. He touched a couple of the computer monitors as he made his way to the rear of the office to see if any of them were warm. When he reached one of the doors, he pushed it open and entered what appeared to be an interrogation room. He went through another door, passed the restrooms, then saw the entrance to the jail. He checked out the cells, which were uninhabited. He returned to the reception area and stood for a moment, staring blankly at the deserted Worthington police station. So this is it, he thought. He was the only living person in town. Everyone was kaput, not just his family and friends, but his neighbors and even the entire police department. 
Jesus, he thought. This has got to be some kind of bad dream. It can't be real. He could see his breath in the hazy red light and realized that the police station was absolutely frigid. That was no wonder, seeing as there wasn't any power to run the furnace. It was surely going to be a cold night, no matter where he went, he thought. Disgruntled and clueless, Tom made his way back out to the jeep. He fired up the engine and turned the heat up to the max. Then he lowered his head and rested it on the steering wheel, closed his eyes, and began to pray. God, please, you've got to help me here. I need to know what to do. I need to know that wherever they are, they're alive and safe. I don't want to die like this, God, never seeing Peg or my kids ever again. Please, God, tell me what to do. Where am I to go? Where can I find my family? Tom opened his eyes. He had never been a particularly religious person, but he believed that there was a God, and he needed God now more than he ever had before. Praying helped a little. There was comfort in talking to someone, even if that someone was only a spirit, or whatever God was. But still, it wasn't quite the same as the real thing. He had to keep moving. He mustn't let this thing get the best of him. Somehow he's going to find out where everyone had gone, even if he died in the process. He shifted into reverse and spun out of the parking lot. He headed west toward High Street and turned left, heading south toward downtown. Within three blocks, he started running through the unlit traffic lights, not even bothering to slow down as he approached them. As he cruised past Morse Road into Beechwald, the next neighborhood south of Worthington, he wasn't surprised to see that all of the businesses were shrouded in complete darkness. He glanced at the dashboard clock. It was only 7 p.m., and not a single store was open to the public. He approached North Broadway in Clintonville, and a thought came to mind. The hospital. Riverside Hospital was just a few blocks to the west. Surely there'd be some signs of life there. Elated at the possibility, he fishtailed onto North Broadway and sped as fast as he could toward the hospital, keeping his fingers crossed. Tom rounded the curve, and a smile came to his face. On top of the hospital, he saw the brightly lit blue Riverside Methodist Hospital sign. It was open. He ran the light at Olentangy River Road and headed toward the main entrance. It was dark in the parking lot, but that didn't really surprise him. He saw relatively weak lights on in many of the windows, suggesting that the huge complex may be running on emergency power. He left the engine running and entered the huge glass turnstile. Inside... The lobby was dimly lit, and there wasn't anyone at the reception desk, nor were there any people in the lobby. Not a good sign. Perhaps they were operating with a skeleton crew, he thought, due to the power outage. Tom strode through the lobby until he reached the gift shop, which was also deserted. He went inside and walked over to the counter, aware now that he was totally famished. He grabbed a bag of Fritos off the rack and plunked a dollar bill on the counter. Stuffing a handful into his mouth, he exited the shop and headed down one of the halls toward the emergency room. He stopped at the bank of elevators and pushed the up button, not expecting the elevator to work. To his surprise, the door whooshed open, startling him. Tom stepped inside and pressed the button for the second floor. The door shut and the elevator began its ascent. The interior was dimly lit, but Tom was just glad it was working. When he reached the second floor... He stepped out into another dim hallway. He walked toward the nurse's station. It was uninhabited. He entered the area and poked around, noting that neither the computers nor any of the other devices were on. Picking up a phone, 
he heard a dead line. Finally, he got his nerve up and walked over to one of the patient's rooms. He knocked on the door, waited a moment, turned the doorknob. The door was locked. He went over to the next door and tried it. It, too, was locked. Tom tried another half-dozen doors, only to discover that they were all locked. Apparently, everyone in this place had either been evacuated or vaporized. Tom took the elevator to the third floor and checked the rooms. They were all locked as well. Nothing shaken but the leaves on the trees. Heaving a distraught sigh, Tom had to concede that the hospital was a bust. Like the police station, another vital community service center that one would expect to be active in an emergency was DOA. Screw this. He wolfed down the rest of his Fritos and washed them down with a slug of the lukewarm bottled water he had snatched from a fridge in the nurse's supply room. Then he boarded the elevator back down to the main floor. Tom exited through the turnstile and turned to his right, then did a double take. His jeep was gone. See Tom Run is copyright 2008 by Scott Wittenberg. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider purchasing a copy of the book, now available at scottwittenberg.com. Thanks for your support.